Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung here at Broadcast Central in Chattanooga, Tennessee. On Sunday evening, we're going to be at the Miles Strait Baptist Church. That's in Soddy Daisy, Tennessee, not very far from here in Chattanooga, where our home base is. It's going to be a special seminar on Bible prophecy. Two sessions, one starting at 5.30, that'll be a prophecy Q&A. And then on the next session, beginning at 6.30, I'll be talking about what President Biden will have to make a decision about that actually fits into the prophetic scenario found in Bible prophecy. Very important discussion and teaching from the Word of God. Hope you can come, 5.30 Q&A. 6.30, the beginning of the teaching at the Miles Strait Baptist Church in Soddy Daisy, Tennessee. Well, this morning I had my quiet time, and I was reading from Acts chapter 5, and I noticed very distinctly verse 42, which talked about the fact that early on in the beginning of the church in Acts chapter 1 through 5, it talked about what the disciples of Jesus did at that beginning stage of the church. They went house to house, and then they went up onto the Temple Mount as well to preach and teach Jesus Christ. And immediately my mind thought about our radio broadcast. We can go house to house, that would be privately, and publicly into the marketplace with this information we get from our broadcast partners. I really got excited about that particular passage of my quiet time this morning. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to bring these broadcast partners to the table. First of all, Ken Timmerman. Now, we have been talking to him in southern France. He has moved to Sweden. And there we have a hold of him. And Ken, from that vantage point, you can see the world and understand what's going on. But uh, indeed, you're there to not only do business, but spend some time with some of your family, are you not? I am indeed. We're hoping to have a family reunion in another week or so with uh, uh, children coming in from Barcelona, from southern Sweden, and from uh, uh, Florida. So we'll see how that works out, but it should be fun. It should be fun. An international family. That's the family of Ken Timmerman. Well, let me begin with what I want you to give us an analysis of your understanding of what's happening. Vladimir Putin, during the Benjamin Netanyahu administration as prime minister had a deal with the prime minister that he would have a blind eye to any attacks by the Israeli defense force on Syria. Now it looks like Putin has made a decision to get rid of that deal, step away from it. Does that mean harm for the Israeli attacks on Syria if they need to have these attacks? Well, what happened this past week, and it's extremely interesting, a bit nuanced, Jimmy, but what happened was that the Israelis launched an airstrike up through the eastern part of Jordan near Al-Tana, which is the former U.S. base there along the Jordan-Iraq-Syrian border. And the Russians then announced that they had shot down seven of the eight missiles launched by those Israeli aircraft against a Syrian weapons manufacturing plant. Now, this is something that the Russians have not done in the past. They've pretty much given uh, Israel a blank check to launch airstrikes. When those airstrikes have been against the Iranians, against Hezbollah, the Revolutionary Guards, or against jihadi groups. But this 
seem to be an attack against a Syrian government defense production facility. And so a couple of things that I take away from this. Either the, the Russians are saying, look, that's uh, the red line. Don't attack Syria itself. They are our strategic ally. If you want to go after the Iranians, that's fine with us, but don't attack the Syrians. But there's another interpretation as well, which is that uh, Putin himself, by urging this information out, this was obviously a deliberate leak in Moscow that they had shot down uh, the missiles with some new Russian anti-missile systems based in Syria, something called the Panzer S, that Putin is saying to the new Israeli prime minister, look, I had a deal, but it was a face-to-face deal with Benjamin Netanyahu. If you want to continue doing this kind of thing as the state of Israel, you got to come and talk to me. We do this man-to-man, face-to-face, and then we'll take it from there. And so far, Naftali Bennett has not met with Putin. Well, this particular bit of information seemingly setting the stage for the prophetic scenario found in God's Word, Daniel chapter 11, and how the alignment of nations begin with and from Syria to try to destroy the Jewish state. More on that when I take a look at the book. Earlier this weekend, the Jordanian king, King Abdullah, with President Biden at the White House in Washington, out of that meeting came a thought, an opinion piece, saying that according to what this opinion writer was thinking, that uh, the state of Jordan has become the favorite Arab state for this administration, maybe because they're the weakest, but indeed in that meeting, King Abdullah made it clear to President Biden he wanted to keep control, custodial control of the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. He did not want anything to do with the Abraham Accords, and he also wanted the president to confirm the two-state solution. Can you talk to us about that meeting? Yes. Uh, King Abdallah is trying to get his uh, very uh, roasted chestnuts out of the fire where they had been placed by President Trump who really didn't care about the two-state solution. He was more interested in Israel's security, and he didn't really care about Jordan, which was already a Palestinian state. And King Abdullah came to Washington hoped, hoping to revive sort of America's classic Middle East policy, this notion that endless negotiations with a Palestinian entity that is determined to eradicate the state of Israel will somehow lead to peace. Uh, President Trump saw through that. That's why he negotiated the Abraham Accords, direct peace agreement between significant Arab states and Israel, significant Muslim states, if you include uh, uh, Sudan with that, and Israel. King Abdullah is trying to reassert himself, and so you have the traditionalists, the so-called Orientalists, the pro-Palestinian faction in the White House and the State Department reaffirming this relationship with Jordan, Uh, Jordan that has a peace agreement with Israel, but that does not want to be subsumed by its Palestinian majority. It wants there to be a separate Palestinian state, and I think eventually to expel the Palestinians to that new state. That is probably going to be the case. I would agree with your particular analysis of that as well. Well, Syria economically is really in the ruins, and this is causing China to sniff the opportunity to get involved there. What can you tell us? Well, the Chinese have got a lot of money, uh, that's for sure, and they're spending it. Uh, the Belt and Road Initiative is costing them literally trillions of dollars that they're investing all across Central Asia, 
the Middle East and even into Europe. And now they're, they're hoping to get in, or they're at least making these uh, gestures of hoping to get into Syria to rebuild Syria after this nearly 10-year civil war that has just completely destroyed the country. They sent their foreign minister, Wang Yi, to uh, Damascus recently for the inauguration of Bashar al-Assad after his magnificent 99.9, oh, I'm sorry, 97% election victory in May to another term as president. Uh, and the foreign minister was basically saying, we're going to invest in Syria. We're going to put money here. We're going to help you rebuild. I would step back a little bit, Jimmy, and, uh, you know, this is an opportunity for the Chinese really to bite off more than they can chew. It's going to cost hundreds of billions of dollars to rebuild Syria, and for what? What are they going to get in return? My, my sense is that the Chinese here are overstepping things a little bit. The Russians have already backed off. They've taken from Syria what they can take. They've got the port Latakia. They've got their lock on the defense industries in Syria. Uh, the Iranians have got Syria as a rear base uh, for uh, Hezbollah and an advanced base for them against Israel. What do the Chinese want? They want economic development. I don't think they're going to get that out of Syria for 20 years. Ken, on the continent of Africa, there are many, many countries. There seems to be a growing Muslim community throughout the entire continent. And let's look at Nigeria just for a moment. I understand a report telling us that Muslims have murdered over 3,000 Christians, and they did that in 200 days. And that's the mode of operation for the Muslims, is it not? It, it's, it's tragic, Jimmy. It's happening every day in Nigeria. I participate in a conference call on this every week with a group of Christian organizations and national security groups led by Frank Gaffney, uh, Save the Persecuted Christians, and we have people in Nigeria who are telling us stories of what's happening. It's, it's just, it is a daily tragedy. It is incomprehensible to us sitting in the United States that uh, Christians can be hacked to death by machetes in villages in northern Nigeria simply because they are Christians. Uh, they're hacked to death by these Fulati tribesmen, by Muslim groups, by the Janjaweed, um, you name it. There's a whole a potpourri of, of radical groups, of Muslim jihadi groups in um, uh, Nigeria. But even worse than that, they're getting killed by the army, by the Ni Nigerian state army. And this is not the first time it's been happening. You, you mentioned 3,500 3, uh, Christians killed just in the past 200 days. But, you know, last year there was something like 3,500 killed. And the year before that, there was 4,000 killed. I mean, it's just on and on and on, this relentless massacre uh, of Christians in Nigeria. It's truly tragic, and, and I, I am um, ashamed that we in the West have not paid more attention to our uh, brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's because mainstream media does not report anything that would not go along with their world view. But we do hear on Prophecy Today weekend, and we do that with Ken Timmerman as we look at geopolitical activities happening around the world. This is a report you do not want to miss hearing each and every week. Ken, have a great time with that upcoming family reunion there in Sweden, and we'll talk again to get your report next week. Thanks so much, Jimmy. Always a pleasure. God bless. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, David Dolan's standing by. He's got his Middle East news update for us. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today.
The book of Revelation is God's final word to man and the timeline of the last days revealed to the Christians. This symbolism-filled example of apocalyptic literature can be difficult to understand, especially when simply reading it from beginning to end. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest book, Revelation, A Chronology, takes a walk through the prophetic book of Revelation in the order that the events will take place, chronologically, sharing insights into its true meaning and doing so in an easy-to-understand and practical way. If you have difficulty understanding the book of Revelation, get your copy of Revelation, A Chronology, and let Dr. Jimmy DeYoung aid you in your understanding of this profound end-times prophecy book that God has preserved in His Scriptures for Christians in the last days. To order your copy of Jimmy D. Young's Revelation, a chronology, call us toll free at 877-674-3298 or visit our website at prophecytoday.com. I want to remind you that I do have a website. It's prophecytoday.com. This is a full service website. It will assist you in your study of Bible prophecy. For example, I have a prophecy bookstore with a number of materials that will help you as you study through the prophetic passages of God's Word. I have a number of books, DVD documentaries, and five-hour audio series on the subject of Bible prophecy. I have a prophecy Q&A section, and then I list the top 10 news stories on a daily basis. These are news stories that seemingly are setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. And I will give you a prophetic perspective on those news stories. That website that you should bookmark is prophecytoday.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. Jimmy DeYoung here at Broadcast Central. I've got six of my broadcast partners ready and willing to give us information around this world of events happening that may well be setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. Many of them are must-hear reports, especially David Dolan's Middle East News Update, a key region of the world, and any student of Bible prophecy must hear this report on a weekly basis. That's indeed why we bring this long-time journalist in the Middle East to the broadcast table with us. David, let me begin with this. Mahmoud Abbas has been urged by the Biden administration to go back to the negotiating table to try to put together a two-state solution. So the president of the Palestinian Authority put up a list of requirements to go back to negotiations. And as I've read through them, and even the Israelis are saying, this would be a decree for Israel's surrender. What are your thoughts about this list Abbas has put up? Well, Jimmy, it just reflects the continuing hardline, very hardline position from the Palestinian side as to any final solution, frankly. And their version of that would be similar to Hitler's. Jews disappear. The Jewish state uh, disappears. Well, that's not peace, of course. That's a recipe for war. He didn't say that in so many words, but basically they are asking for things that Israel could never agree to. 
Uh, of course, chief amongst them is that there be no Israeli control in eastern Jerusalem over the old city, the Temple Mount, that uh, Jewish neighborhoods in the east of the city be turned over to the Palestinians, that sort of thing. So, again, it's not just the PA. The PA is ruling uh, Judea and Samaria, but Hamas is ruling the Gaza Strip, and Hamas, according to all the opinion polls as we've discussed, is gaining popularity in Judea and Samaria and is much more popular. In fact, the head of Hamas, if he were to run for president of the Palestinian Authority, he would absolutely defeat Abbas by about two-thirds, the polls show. So he has to pay attention to their positions, and their positions, as I've stated many times, are clear in their founding charter. They've never renounced it. This is Hamas, that Israel must be totally destroyed. There can be no peace with a Jewish state. A Jewish state is contrary to the Quran and has to disappear. So, uh, again, the Biden administration wanting to proceed in uh, talks, apparently, but uh, the chances of there being any realistic uh, solution at this time are just zero. You've made that statement many, many times, and I believe exactly what you're saying, David. And, in fact, we both agree with what the prophetic word of God has to say about this Israeli-Palestinian conflict as well. On this last Sunday, it was Tish B'Av. That's the day that the Jews will pray, mourn, fast, and then read the book of Lamentations as they pray for a temple to be up on the Temple Mount by next Tish B'Av, less than a year from now. However, a report coming that there were a record number of Jews that were able to visit the Temple Mount on Tish B'Av and pray discreetly. Boy, that's good news as far as the Jewish people are concerned, isn't it? Well, Jimmy, it was quite a, a scene, actually, because, as you say, it was a record number, close to 2,000 Jews, mostly males, well, went up to the Temple Mount, and they held uh, some prayer sessions on one of the extremities. Not uh, They don't ever go to the center of the Temple Mount, lest they accidentally walk over the site of the Holy of Holies, where it's forbidden for anybody but the high priest to enter. And even though there is no temple there now and is no Holy of Holies there now, they still adhere to that. But they gathered, there were prayer meetings, there was the singing of Hatikva, the Israeli national anthem, by some of them. And before that, there were some Palestinians who rioted, knowing that some of these Jews were on their way, religious Jews on their way up to pray. Uh, they began throwing stones and bottles and other things at the police. The police uh, uh, got that under control, and then this stream came up to the Temple Mount. Well, the uh, Islamic world, not just uh, the Palestinians, went ballistic over it. Turkey issued a strong denunciation of Jews going up to the Temple Mount, said they were racist settlers that were out to attack Muslims, which, of course, is not at all the case. They were going up there to pray and uh, condemned it. Egypt issued a strong statement against it, saying, Holy Al-Aqsa must remain in our control. And the Ra'am party, part of the government, also issued a statement that was echoed by the Muslim Brotherhood movement, the founder, the parent, I should say, of the Ra'am party, uh, condemning it and saying that it's the sole property of Muslims, the Temple Mount. That's a quote, sole property of Muslims. Nobody else has a right to be up there. Nobody else should be up there. There were never any temples up there. This is an Islamic holy site exclusively. Well, of course, that's ridiculous. 
It is the site of the ancient temples. The archaeologists have established that beyond doubt of anybody that's reasonable at all and looks at the information. But it shows, again, that uh, the opposition to any sort of Jewish control or any sort of Jewish influence, even even prayers on the Temple Mount, is a source of great consternation amongst the Muslims, the whole Muslim world, which, of course, says that it has replaced the Jews as the people of God, and that they have the revelations and the final prophet Muhammad and not the Jews, and the Jews should go somewhere else. David, during the administration of Prime Minister Netanyahu, he had met with Vladimir Putin of Russia. They had an agreement together, a statement that each of them made to each other, that Putin would offer a blind eye to any attacks that the Israeli Defense Force may do on the Iranians or whatever situation there in Syria. Now the report coming from Vladimir Putin that he's going to step aside from that agreement. Is that going to harm the opportunity for the Israeli Defense Force to deal with those who would like to destroy them there in Syria? Well, Jimmy, this all came after there were two Israeli airstrikes early this week into Syria, two separate ones. There were also two rockets fired into Israel, into the Haifa area from Lebanon, believed to be, though, from Palestinian groups there and not from Hezbollah. But after the second strike, we had a very strong statement from a senior Russian official who gave details of the second raid, saying eight Israeli-guided missiles had been fired at Iranian positions near the city of Aleppo, and that Russian anti-aircraft forces, anti-missile forces, I should say, had shot down seven of them. Uh, the statement went on. It was by Vadim Kulit, who's uh, the Russian Center for Reconciliation head. That's a, I won't go into the details there, but uh, he follows Syria closely. He gave the time when the attack took place on the evening of July 19th, just before midnight. And he said the Israeli planes came from the east, from the Al-Tanf zone. Now, that's an American-controlled zone where Syria, Jordan, and Iraq meet. So the planes apparently came up from the south uh, and maybe over Jordanian airspace and then went over to the west of Syria. That's unusual. They usually come in from Lebanon. But he said that uh, this sort of situation will not continue and we will not uh, allow these Israeli strikes to just go on without any opposition. He gave the details of uh, how they intervened. So that is a whole new thing, Jimmy, and what is being said in Israel is that this is because the agreement you mentioned was between Putin and Benjamin Netanyahu, who were actually pretty good friends, had met many, many times, and had established a relationship. Now that Netanyahu is in the opposition and Bennett is the prime minister, they're basically saying, we have no agreement with you. And uh, therefore, you know, the time when you could just carry out these attacks in Syria without any resistance from us or strong resistance from us has ended. We will now shoot at any Israeli missiles or rockets. And if they start shooting, Jimmy, at the aircraft themselves, which they could easily do with their S-300 uh, system there in place in uh, Syria, that would be, uh, well, an act of war basically going on. And again, Israel's not attacking Syria per se. They're attacking a third country, Iran, that has taken over parts of the country and are building bases and are supplying weapons into Lebanon, etc. Israel has no choice but to resist this. 
but Russia, until now allowing it, apparently not going to do so, at least try not to do that after now. And I understand that that attack coming from Lebanon earlier this week that you spoke about may well have been sponsored by the Iranians as well. David Dolan, the man who covers the Middle East for us, and in particular the events happening to the city of Jerusalem and the entire state of Israel. Always a key report, especially for those of us who are students of Bible prophecy. David, thank you so much for your report. Your experience helps you to give us great insight that we could not get from any place else. Appreciate it, my good friend. We'll talk again next week. Glad to do it, Jimmy. God bless. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Winky Madad standing by. He's going to discuss with me a potpourri of issues that basically have not been discussed as of yet on the broadcast. Keep the dial set right where it is. You're going to hear Winky Madad and I have this conversation on Prophecy Today. How do you like your news? You know, Jimmy, folks are listening to the news every single day, but sometimes they're getting that liberal bent, and we want them to have a different look at the news. Jay, that's correct. I have listened to ABC, CBS, and NBC when I returned from Jerusalem back to the United States, having just witnessed a news event in the Middle East, and hear the commentators over here speaking something almost different. That's why I write the Until Newsletter, and it takes the leading news stories of the month. I give the absolute truth behind all the details in those headlines, and then we look at it from a prophetic perspective. I want to give you the insight from God's Word as to how the political is setting the stage for the prophetic to be fulfilled. And Jay's going to give you the phone number how you can get your free copy of Until the Prophecy Newsletter. Just give us a call at 8-PROPHECY-8. That's 877-674-3298. Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung at Broadcast Central here in Chattanooga. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. We move into our second half hour. Winky Madad in Shiloh, the center part of the state of Israel, a very historic biblical site, is where Winky is located. We'll go there in just a moment to talk to him about a pulpery of issues. Let me remind you that we're going to be at the Miles Strait Baptist Church on Sunday night, starting at 5.30 with a prophecy Q&A, and then at 6 o'clock, a teaching from the prophetic Word of God. That's the Miles Strait Baptist Church, Saudi Daisy, Tennessee, 5.30 Sunday evening, and then 6.30 for the teaching on Bible prophecy. Hope to be able to see you there. We're here at our hometown in Chattanooga, not very far from Saudi Daisy. Love to see you come to study the prophetic word of God with us. Well, let's go now to Winky Madad. Winky, I need to have you, I guess, almost on a weekly basis. So many things to cover in the state of Israel and what's happening there and around the world related to the Jewish state and that does play into the prophetic scenario found in God's Word. For example, King Abdullah of Jordan went to meet with President Biden at the White House this week. What are your thoughts about that meeting they had? Well, Jimmy, we have to realize that uh, on the one hand, Jordan is probably the weakest 
state in the entire region almost, in a sense, because it's caught between Israel, Syria, Lebanon, and uh, Iraq, and Saudi Arabia. And it's always been uh, supported by outside powers first, of course, by the British Empire up until 1946, when it became independent. It was simply a supported uh, by uh, Britain's gold, both beginning in World War One with Lawrence of Arabia and on. They had no internal unity, Bedouin tribes, and he himself was from Saudi Arabia. And then afterwards, of course, now we, both England and then later on, of course, the United States, looking to prop him up. Uh, but, of course, it's, it's very difficult for them, both economically-wise, national-wise. Although they have a peace treaty with Israel since 1994, and they get a lot of water from us now, they still try to play independent and stand offish, if I could use that uh, turn of phrase, instead of actually becoming a peaceful, coexisting state with Israel. I do know that in the conversation with the president, the king brought up the issue about control of the Temple Mount and all the religious sites for the Muslims and Christians there in the Jerusalem area. He also brought up a two-state solution. He was saying that he was doing this to try to get rid of the idea that Jordan is a Palestinian state. He's wrong in both areas, isn't he? Of course he is, Jimmy. Uh, that's, of course, one of the issues that I think uh, our listeners should always pay attention to is that a little bit of scratching the historical surface and reading documents and a few pages and a few history books and the entire situation that you're told by the media or people like Abdullah disappears. Jordan, the territory of Jordan, was part of historic Palestine. It was taken away from the territory of the Jewish national home in order to prop up another one of the Hashemites. There was one in Iraq, and then there was one in Jordan. They were kicked out of Saudi Arabia, where they originally started from, and they had nowhere else to go. And so instead of making trouble for the British and the French, they took off 75% of the historic Palestine territory and gave it to a Saudi Arabian refugee. And then he claims he has historic roots in the region, and he makes the claim to be the custodian of the Temple Mount. And, of course, all this is, is really empty, Jimmy, of, of words, and it's unfortunate that the United States would go along and pretend that this is the case. Meanwhile, at the same time that he was with the president in Washington, D.C., the Islamic Party leader in Israel made a very interesting statement that the Temple Mount there in Jerusalem solely was property of the Muslim world. Again, a, another wrong historic understanding. Of course, Jimmy. The, the historical record is quite clear, both in the Bible in extra-biblical historical references from the Roman period on, all throughout the, the early Middle Ages and on. This was the site of the two temples of the Jewish people. It was conquered by the Romans, the Babylonians previously, and then the Byzantine Empire, and then the Arabs came along and conquered Jerusalem and built a few buildings up there and claimed that it's all theirs. You know... We have the Western Wall, which is propping up the entire Temple Mount. Why do you think the Jews built the Western Wall, if not 
to make a platform for the temple, as we know it's been recorded. And yet they sit up on top and claim that even the temple didn't even exist at this place. It's, it's very awkward. It's very even despondent sometimes. It's such relatively intelligent people, both Arab Muslims, Arab Christians, and other Christians looking at the situation can be bamboozled by these claims. And, and then we're stuck with no coexistence, no sharing of sacred sites, which maybe could even be an entree to more peaceful relations. But no, they refuse, and it's an unfortunate situation. I don't know how a Christian could deny uh, that there was a temple on the Temple Mount in the times of Jesus Christ. He would often go there. He would preach from that location, etc. So Christians need to go back not only to the history books, but to the Bible itself. Well, there was recently a major Muslim activity, a holy day as far as they're concerned. 100,000 Muslims on the Temple Mount, and all of them starting to shout and sing about the fact they're ready to die for Al-Aqsa. That would be a waste of life, would it not? Because God has a plan for that Temple Mount. I agree with you. Until that plan comes about, Jimmy, Israel has committed itself fully to recognizing religious rights for all people, all religions, throughout the country. You've lived in the country. You know that to be true. And, in fact, Jews are relegated, basically, to a lower status at the Temple Mount, even though they have superior, I would say, in my opinion, rights to that piece of territory as a, as a sacred historic religious site. And we can't pray up there openly, and we have selected hours of during the day. Fridays and Saturdays, we can't go up there at all. And so they just, I, I don't know how to put it in a nice way, Jimmy, they make up things, convince themselves that it's true, make a lot of noise and even violence, and get people then to threaten Israel to be quiet because we're, pro we're making provocations to the poor Muslims. This is not how normal people should conduct religious, diplomatic, political affairs of state. And I would agree a hundred percent on your last statement there. Well, let's get away from the prophetic and the political just for a moment. What's the big deal about Ben and Jerry's ice cream in Israel? Explain that to us. Well, Jimmy, we have had for maybe 20 years or so, I'm not quite sure how long, a licensee here in Israel who is producing the Ben and Jerry's ice cream locally. It employs 160 people. It makes money. It, it gives people ice cream on, or another ice cream choice. It's what we call free enterprise. And they sell and distribute Ben and Jerry's all over Israel, including areas which Israel controls in Judea and Samaria. A group of people who sit on the board of the Ben and Jerry's in the United States have been very active and influenced by the BDS, the Boycott Divestment Movement, and they're a very social, progressive group of people in the United States as well. I'm sure some of the people know how they're active in Arizona and other places. Okay, that's their right. But then they come here to Israel and say, because he distributes in Judea and Samaria, we're going to close down the plant. We're going to take away his license. 
Now, it's one thing to be pro-Palestine or pro-Arab or whatever, but once you begin to damage someone's economics because of your political beliefs, not because he's done anything wrong, but because you think he's done something wrong, and he hasn't, that is not playing fair. And so, uh, if I can turn the <laughs> phrase, Jimmy, things are melting here very quickly. Very appropriate statement at uh, the time and the subject. I do appreciate you explaining the Ben and Jerry situation and thanking you for talking about the Abdullah visit to the White House and, of course, the Muslims as it relates to the Temple Mount. Thank you so much, Winky. We'll talk again real soon down the road with a pulpery of items next time as well. Jimmy, thank you very much again for having me on the program. Goodbye to you and our listeners. Well, we'll stay up on top of that story with Winky Madad. Right now, though, a key report that we bring to you each and every week. It's our European Union update. We do that with John Rood. He lived in Brussels, Belgium, for a number of years, knows what's happening in that key region of the world. And, John, let me get started right away. Looks like the Palestinian Authority is telling the European Union that they need to boycott the settlements there in Israel. That's what Ben and Jerry's has been doing. What about uh, what's happening as it relates to the EU? Indeed, the Palestinian Authority, it's the Fatah movement. The chairman of the Palestinian Authority is the leader of the movement. And so, especially taking the situation of the changing government in Israel... They want to bring more economic pressure on the European Union. So in a way to break away from the previous political approach, they want to show Europe a stronger role in the Middle East. And, of course, we understand the EU, they're always in a struggle of being justified. And so actually it has been a situation where there's a call for international law in this situation to boycott a a complete what they're speaking of as the settlement. And it looks like uh, that the European Union and the Palestinian Authority wanting to get involved in internal politics in the state of Israel. Well, I understand in Poland this last week there was a bunch of chanting from protesters that the Jews are the ones behind the pandemic. Give us the latest on that. Uh, You know, it's a sort of a continuation of the anti-Jewish protests that have been in Europe, notably in London. And here uh, there's documentation now in Poland, as you said, actually chanting that uh, the Jews are behind the pandemic. Actually, they call it the plandemic. And I believe it's traced to the far-right Polish Confederation Party, and the leader there has done much in terms of uh, anti-Semitic conspiracy theories in the past. It's likely that they're taking advantage of the new situation and create this news. It appears that way. With the recently elected president of Iran going to be installed in the middle of the month in August. European Union leaders are joining with North Korea and meeting Iran's mass murderer president. That does not sound like a good move to me. The newly elected Iranian president has been known 
to have been one of the uh, responsible people for secret execution, uh, death of thousands of political dissidents. This goes back to the 1980s. And then also uh, just recently, back to 2019, uh, he would be responsible for unlawfully killing hundreds of people, thousands of protesters, mass arrests, and so forth. And yet the European Union has come out, some of the nations have come out with congratulations, and most likely this new president could become the next supreme leader of Iran. So you see that there's there's sort of a precedent here. The focus has been more on appeasing the government in Iran than the issues uh, that the people have and their freedom concerns. It's a continuation, and the EU plays along. As you said, uh, even congratulations, the same, same country that's been congratulated by North Korea. The voice of John Rood, the man who covers the European Union for us. This is a major report that you must hear on a weekly basis. We need to understand the European Union, at least the infrastructure for the revived Roman Empire, And whatever they do politically, we look at it because that's setting the stage prophetically for God's plan for the future. John, thank you so much. We'll talk again next week, buddy. Thank you, Jimmy. Well, I'm going to bring a good friend, longtime friend, a pastor of a church out in Oklahoma. Dr. Paul Blair is going to join us at the broadcast table right now. Now, I've got to tell you, folks, I very much respect Paul Blair. I pay attention to what he says because of his size. He's a big giant of a man and indeed weighs in and will not tell you the weight situation. Has his own personal trainer. That's his petite little wife that takes care of him all the time. And she's trying to keep him in shape after he was in the NFL. Played with the Chicago Bears for a number of years on the offensive line. Paul, it's great to be able to talk to you, sir. <laughs> Jimmy, my good friend, it's always a joy to be on your show. Good talking to you. Well, thank you, sir. I did mention the fact you are pastor of Fairview Baptist Church there in Edmond, Oklahoma. But you're also the president of the Liberty Pastors Network. And I know you guys are having a conference just in the next day or two. It's entitled America at the Crossroads. That conference, July 25th through the 27th. Paul, tell us about this conference. What's the purpose of it? Well, Jimmy, we have done a number. I think this will be our seventh, what we call uh, pastor training camps. We have done a number of them in Florida, a number of them in Texas. We, of course, have this one coming up in, in Oklahoma City area, the 25th through the 27th of July. We've got our next big one after this in, at the Woodlands in Houston, Texas, September the 12th through the 15th, so we'd invite all pastors from across the country to look at libertypastors.com and consider flying into Houston and joining us. But quite frankly, what we're dealing with is appropriating a biblical worldview in the area of civil government. You know, every pastor would answer the question correctly if you asked them what were the three institutions that God established on planet Earth. Every pastor would say, well, God established the home and the church and civil government. And every pastor would defend uh, what he believes about the proper function of the home based on what he read in the Word of God. And every pastor would say, our doctrinal beliefs are taken from the Bible and, and our church structure is taken because of this in the Bible. 
Uh, and obviously he would be correct in making those connections. However, we have abandoned looking at what God's purpose and limitations for the civil governing authority are. And America, of course, as you and I have discussed in detail, when you look back at the faith and influence of the pilgrims and the Puritans and everything that, that began there in 1620, you know, we are enjoying the only time in Christian history that we haven't been persecuted for our faith, that we as Christians have been able to enjoy both political freedom and religious freedom. And that wasn't by accident. It was because of the brilliance and the biblical worldview that the majority of our founding fathers had. But in recent generation, we've been told we're not supposed to talk about politics or civil government from a biblical perspective. And consequently, we are reaping the harvest. And you mentioned a while ago the prophetic implications. Quite frankly, I think what we've witnessed over the course of the last year has been an effort to take down America and the idea of America being great compared to the rest of the world in order to get us back in line with a push towards global socialism. And, of course, the move of the Great Reset and all the beautiful people, the world leaders in Davos, uh, trying to uh, organize what may be the fulfillment of of prophecy. But, um, uh, nevertheless, our purpose is trying to teach pastors a comprehensive biblical worldview, uh, and, and particularly we're focusing in this realm of civil government. We're teaching them about critical race theory. We're teaching them about the satanic danger of Marxism and all of these things that are truly facing the church in America today. I do know, Paul, that you're also training up pastors as there were in the times at the beginning of America. They're referred to as black-robed pastors or preachers. Explain that. Well, what most of us don't know, you know, for example, uh, everybody has heard of the midnight ride of Paul Revere, but nobody knows where Paul Revere was riding. Paul Revere was actually heading to Lexington to the home of the pastor of the church in Lexington, a man by the name of Jonas Clark. Jonas Clark had two very special guests with him that night. He had uh, John Hancock and Sam Adams that were two of the leaders of the independence movement in America. And, of course, they were wanted men. So the British weren't just coming to Lexington to take away Second Amendment rights to gather the the arms that the uh, Lexington residents had but they were also coming to arrest Sam Adams and John Hancock that were staying at at Pastor Clark's house. And it said that Adams and Hancock asked the pastor uh, when they heard that the British were in fact on the way, or the British troops were on the way, uh, that they asked Pastor Clark, will your men stand and fight? And Pastor Clark said, I have trained them for this very hour. They will fight and, if need be, die in the shadow of the cross. And what we're not taught is that Lexington Militia was actually organized and trained by Pastor Clark and Deacon Captain John Brown, a veteran of the French and Indian War, that the very first shots fired for liberty was largely a church congregation led by a pastor and a deacon in the courtyard of their church building. But the pastors, that wasn't the exception. The Minutemen were communities militias that were largely organized around their churches. There's a very famous uh, statue that stands in Statuary Hall in Washington, D.C. It's of a pastor by the name of John Peter Gabriel Muhlenberg. And Pastor Muhlenberg was a patriot. He was a member of the Virginia House of Burgesses, served alongside Patrick Henry and George Washington. 
And uh, he was so troubled at what had gone on after uh, the Battle of Bunker Hill and, and, of course, Lexington conquered, that he preached a message on January the 21st, 1776, in his church, and he had announced that he was going to be resigning that day. And he preached a message from Ecclesiastes 3, uh, teaching about there's a time for all things. And he said there's a time to pray and there's a time to fight. And for me, that time is now. And he stepped out from behind his pulpit, and he took off his black clerical robe, which is where the term black-robed regiment came from. And underneath it, he had on a colonel's uniform from the, uh, from the Continental Army. And he was charged by General Washington and Patrick Henry with forming the 8th Virginia Cavalry Regiment. And he marched to the back of his church. He opened up the doors, and outside he had already prearranged for an enlistment station to be set up. A little drummer boy was out there playing the role of a drum, and Pastor Muhlenberg pulled out his sword and challenged the men of the community to sign up on the muster roll and join him. And they went off to fight, and, and uh, Pastor Muhlenberg wound up becoming Major General Muhlenberg and served as a part of General Washington's executive council all the way through the Battle of Yorktown. So the Black Robe Regiment were the pastors that recognized that tyranny was a threat to their religious freedom as well. And they were the product of the, the Great Awakening. And these pastors would step into their pulpits every Sunday morning and inflame the people's hearts toward liberty. And they not only preached it, but they practiced it. And history tells us that if it wasn't for the pastors of the founding era, there never would have been a Declaration of Independence. There never would have been an America. So it was the pastors that came together and led in the liberty that we enjoy then and what we're trying to do is create a modern-day Black Robe Regiment pastors that get it and understand and preach a comprehensive biblical worldview, that stand against the LGBT movement, that stand against the Marxist movement, and defend liberty uh, for their children and grandchildren. You know, I, I, like you, buddy, I'm looking for the shofar to sound, and I'm looking for the Lord to catch us up to be with him in the air. Uh, nevertheless, I'm not sure if that's five minutes away or, or, or 25 years away. I think we're close, but uh, I, my prayer is, is that we are able to enjoy the blessings of liberty until the Lord does call us home. Absolutely. Amen. I'll say to that. And by the way, we are to occupy until that shout does come. I've got to tell you, Paul, as I've been listening to you, coming to my mind was what Mordecai said to Esther. For such a time as this, you have shown up with these ministries, and we do need them at this time, do we not? Oh, absolutely. You know, Jimmy, one of the things that we have been commissioned directly, if you look in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 11, you know, Paul tells the church to not have any fellowship or take part of or be party to, or I would say be a member of a party of the unfruitful works of darkness. And he doesn't just stop there. He said uh, we are also not only not to be part of them, but we are to stand against them and to reprove them and to expose them. Well, as you said a while ago, uh, you know, we're to occupy until the Lord comes. Our last marching orders are to proclaim the truth of Jesus Christ, uh, point people to salvation, and stand against wickedness. And uh, quite frankly, we, we haven't done the job that God has called us to do, at least in my opinion, over the last uh, couple of decades. You know, you look at the influence that the church had in Thessalonica when those new believers that, you know, Paul had only been there for about three weeks but had such an impact in their culture that the pagans came together and accused them of trying to turn the world upside down. 
you know, and you look at the influence of Christianity in Ephesus, which was the, you know, the, the epicenter of idolatry with the Temple of Diana. And Christianity had such an impact in that, in that destination site for, for idol worshipers that the silversmiths were complaining because their business was being so adversely affected because of the evidence of Christianity permeating the culture. You know, we got 70% of the citizens of America claim to be Christian or identify as Christian, yet we can't even figure out that there's only two genders. You know, we, we're allowing men to compete in women's sports. We have mayors and governors across the country issuing proclamations, celebrating LGBT Pride Month. Rather than two genders, we now have a hundred and some odd genders in counting. I mean, it's time that the modern-day men of God, the, the modern-day prophets, stand up boldly in the face of evil and stand against it. That's the voice of Dr. Paul Blair, pastor of the Fairview Baptist Church in Edmond, Oklahoma, but also president of the Liberty Pastors Network. Paul, I'm excited about your ministry, what you're doing, how you're training up pastors so that we can live in light of the freedom that God has promised to give us so we can reach the world. Appreciate what you're doing, buddy. We'll stay in touch, keeping to inform people to let them know what's happening. God bless you, my friend. Thank you, Jimmy. Love you, buddy. Take care. We're going to have to take a break right now. After the break in the last half hour of Prophecy Today weekend, David James is going to come to give us information about the worshipers in the Catholic Church. You do not want to miss that. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung here at Broadcast Central in Chattanooga, Tennessee. I want to remind you that this Sunday, Sunday evening, I'll be at the Miles Strait Baptist Church in Saudi Daisy, Tennessee, a two-hour seminar on Bible prophecy. 5.30, we begin with Prophecy Q&A, 6 o'clock, there at Miles Strait Baptist Church, Saudi Daisy, Tennessee. Hope to see you there to study the Word of God together. Let me give you the poll question. I would love for you to answer it. It's on my home page on the left-hand column as you scroll down. Here's the question. Do you believe it's exciting that the Knesset, the legislative body of Israel, is having a discussion about building a permanent bridge for Jews to be able to enter the Temple Mount and then go up to the Jewish Temple? when it stands there on the Temple Mount in the near future? That's the poll question. Please be sure to answer that question for us at my website, prophecytoday.com. Again, as I have asked you in the past, please pray for our ministry here at Prophecy Today. We're trying to get the word around the world that the rapture of the church could take place at any moment. We need to be prepared. And also, please prayerfully consider what you might donate to the ministry of prophecy today. At this time, we surely could use your donations. That's prophecytoday.com. And on the home page in the right-hand corner, you'll see the word donate. Click on that icon. It will take you to the page to explain 
how you can support the ministry of Prophecy Today. We now bring to this broadcast table David James. David and I have a weekly conversation. The body of Christ may have an issue that they need to have a biblical understanding of. And that's why we do get together on this weekly basis. Now, this time we want to talk about a listener's defense of Roman Catholicism and a changing view on a core Catholic doctrine. Before we get to an email that we received about Roman Catholicism, I think, David, we need to respond to another email concerning a war prophesied in Psalm 83 and its relationship to the war of Ezekiel, chapters 38 and 39. Can you do that for us, please, sir? Sure, I'd be happy to. The question from our listener was this. What are your thoughts on Psalm 83? Could this be a battle before the battle of Ezekiel 38 of the countries that border Israel? The countries that border Israel are not mentioned in Ezekiel 38. When do these battles take place in relation to the tribulation period? So, as you know, Jimmy, there are differences of opinion among dispensationalists when it comes to Psalm 83, uh, where it talks about a coalition of countries that plot to destroy Israel. And in verses 4 and 5, we read this. They have said, Come and let us cut them off from being a nation, that the name of Israel may be remembered no more. For they have consulted together with one consent. They form a confederacy against you. So, Jimmy, this confederation includes the Edomites, Moabites, and Ammonites, which would be Jordan, the Ishmaelites, which would be Saudi Arabia, Gabal and Tyre, which would be Lebanon, and Assyria, which would include Syria and part of Iraq. And then finally, there's uh, Amalek and those in the region of Philistia, or what is now the Gaza Strip. And it should be noted that the PLO Charter did call for Israel's destruction. And I think you and I agree, Jimmy, that this confederacy will likely join the Ezekiel 38 coalition of largely Islamic countries in a combined major campaign against Israel. And this would be after the rapture of the church. And in that battle, God himself will defeat those nations according to the first verses of chapter 39. And it's interesting that not only does uh, chapter 39, verse 6 of Ezekiel talk about the destruction of Magog, but it also mentions those in the coastlands, which would go from Tyre down through Philistia. So that detail may tie the campaigns together as well. You know, I like the way you took those nations listed there from their biblical perspective in the times of the Old Testament and told us who those modern-day states are today. That was great. That helps us to better understand how the three go together. Well, the second email that I wanted to discuss was from a listener who took us to task, and he defended the Roman Catholic Church on several counts. I thought it would be good to respond to a few of his points to help our listeners as they interact with those who may well share similar ideas. Well, Jimmy, we received this email right after your recent discussion with Mike Gendron, so it may be in response to that. And the listener wrote this, I personally believe that if Jesus were on the earth today, he would reach out to the Muslims as well. Pope Francis is doing nothing more than what Christ would have him do, bringing the Muslims into his one-world church. And then he goes on to say, we have to remember that Jesus was criticized for eating with sinners as well. We probably will have to accept the fact that he'll be criticized, meaning the Pope, 
criticized for associating with Muslims as well. Now, Jimmy, the underlying problem seems to be a serious misunderstanding about the efforts of Pope Francis and the stance of the Catholic Church toward Muslims because the Vatican II documents from the 1960s says this about Muslims. Upon the Muslims, too, the Church looks with esteem. They adore one God. They strive to submit wholeheartedly, just as did Abraham. Though they do not acknowledge Jesus as God, they revere him as a prophet. They also honor Mary, his virgin mother. At times, they call on her, too, with devotion. And later in the statement in those Vatican II documents, we read this. In addition, they await the day of judgment when God will give each man his due after raising him up. Consequently, they prize the moral life and give worship to God, especially through prayer, almsgiving, and fasting. So, Jimmy, Pope Francis isn't eating with Muslim sinners per se, and not with that reason, uh, in order to evangelize them, because there's no reason to, based upon the understanding since uh, the 1960s with the Vatican II. Instead, he's treating them as brothers and sisters united in faith in the God of Abraham, even though they deny the deity of Christ and that he was even crucified. Another defense of the Roman Catholic Church that this listener made was related to the supposed singular set of doctrines of Catholicism versus the many different other churches and denominations which seem to have conflicting doctrines. Speak to that issue. Well, this is what he wrote. I personally believe that Jesus did start a one-world religion, and the reason for this is to simply allow this one-world religion to spread and dispense his one true set of doctrines throughout the world. But, Jimmy, while it's true that the Roman Catholic Church would like to present itself as, let's say, monolithic and a uniform institution with an unchanging set of doctrines that has stood the test of time, that really isn't true. And they would like for the world to believe that together with Scripture and tradition, the teaching magisterium represents a unified, unbroken chain of divinely authorized men who faithfully and accurately teach the doctrines that every Catholic in the world must accept and and believe and live by. However, I can tell you that there is nearly as much diversity within the Roman Catholic Church as there is within Protestantism whether we're talking about from the Pope to the bishops or from parish priests to the average layperson. For example, there are ultra-conservatives who don't think any Pope since the 1960s has been legitimate. And then there are ultra-liberals who are politically and socially progressive who reject much of the Bible. They accept abortion on demand. They embrace homosexual relationships. They think women should be priests, and they believe that communist philosophy should be implemented. You know, after my wife was saved in 1984, and she had grown up in Roman Catholicism, she challenged the priest, who was the head of the theology department of her alma mater, which is St. Mary of the Woods College, and uh, she challenged him concerning purgatory, and he told her that he didn't have the foggiest notion where that doctrine came from, and he also said he didn't believe the Catholic dogmas of hell or in a personal Satan, and, and, Jimmy, in many parts of the world, there's strong syncretism between Catholicism and, and even tribal religion. So uh, it is not monolithic. Not everybody believes the same thing. Well, David, concerning that last point, you sent me a link this last week about a study showing that almost 70% of Catholics don't believe one of the most fundamental of all Roman Catholic doctrines. We need to discuss that. 
That's right, Jimmy, and I would add that it's also one of the most unbiblical, and this is the doctrine of transubstantiation, which is the idea that when the priest consecrates the bread and wine by pronouncing the precise liturgical words, they actually change into the literal body and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, paragraph 1214 of the Question and Answer Catechism puts it this way, The Eucharist is a sacrament which really, truly, and substantially contains the body and blood, soul and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ under the appearances of bread and wine. It is the great sacrament of God's love in which Christ is eaten. The mind is filled with grace, and a pledge is given to us of future glory. Then paragraph 1217 of the same catechism says this, the Eucharist is necessary for salvation. Christ's words in John six fifty three: If you do not eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you will not have life in you, mean that Holy Communion is necessary to sustain the life of grace in a person who has reached the age of reason. So, Jimmy, the Roman Catholic Church emphatically teaches the real presence of Christ under the appearances of bread and wine at that participation is necessary for salvation, meaning that belief in transubstantiation is also essential. And yet, according to that study that I sent you, a 2019 Pew study, 69% of all self-identified Catholics don't believe the bread and wine literally becomes Christ, and the majority of those don't even realize the Church teaches transubstantiation. And then there's 20% of those who do know that it's a dogma of the Church, and they still don't believe it. David, I know from the times I've heard you teach on Roman Catholicism and from my own study itself that the Roman Catholics base the doctrine of transubstantiation on the words of Jesus at the Last Supper. And as you just mentioned, what he said in John chapter 6. So how can someone respond to their arguments? Well, Jimmy, in Matthew 26, Jesus says, this is my body, this is my blood, and Paul quotes this in 1 Corinthians 11. Now, the Catholic Church says that this was the first Mass, and that the Mass is an extension of the sacrifice of the cross, and they call it an unbloody sacrifice. But Hebrews 9.22 says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. So an unbloody sacrifice isn't biblical. Uh, and that is alluding to Leviticus 17.11. And then in the preceding verse in Leviticus, uh, the Lord says, I will set my face against that person who eats blood. And furthermore, Jesus wasn't literally eating his own flesh and blood, uh, and this was before the cross, not after. So from every angle, it's an unbiblical doctrine just based on Matthew 26. But then concerning John chapter 6, this is right after the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, which was a sign. And I define a sign as a miracle with a purpose, and the purpose was to demonstrate that Jesus is the source of life. Then in verse 14 of John 6, the disciples responded to the sign by saying, this is truly the prophet who has come into the world, and they're talking about the prophet that Moses talked about in Deuteronomy 18. Then right after this, in the Capernaum synagogue, Jesus talks about eating his flesh and drinking his blood in order to have eternal life. But it's clear from the text that this is figurative language, because in verse 35 he says, I am the bread of life, he who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. And he says this over and over throughout this discourse. For example, in verses 47 and 48 he says, most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. 
But then we read in verse 66 that many disciples left him because I would say they made the same mistakes that Catholicism does today, and that's taking literally what Jesus intended as a parabolic metaphor. Very good answer there, David, and it's great for those in the Catholic community to have a an answer for this particular question as well, and a good answer to our friend listening to the broadcast, sending in the email. Appreciate it so much, your research and your study on this subject, David. Thank you. And be ready for next week, because we're going to have another issue we're going to have to cover. We'll be talking to you then. Thanks, Jimmy. It's always great to be with you every week. I'm going to have to take a break right now. We're going to get ready for me to open the Bible, look at what the broadcast partners had to say, and take a look at the book. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hey everyone, this is Dave James with the Alliance for Biblical Integrity. You hear me each week discussing current theological issues with Jimmy DeYoung on the Prophecy Today weekend broadcast. We founded the Alliance for Biblical Integrity because we saw a need for an apologetics and discernment ministry that would be an important resource for local churches, schools, and ministry organizations that face ever-changing theological challenges in today's world. I teach many different courses and seminars in the United States and around the world and can tailor the seminars for Sunday schools, Bible studies, and church services, and the courses for weekend conferences of 6 to 10 hours. For more information, you can go to the ABI website at biblicalintegrity.org. That's one word, biblicalintegrity.org, and click on Courses and Seminars on the main menu. You can also contact me personally through the contact page on the ABI website. I look forward to hearing from you. Every believer needs to understand Bible prophecy. Whether you're a novice or a student, we are here to help you. Just visit prophecytoday.com and click on the link for the Prophecy Bookstore. There you will find a large selection of CD sets, DVDs, and books for the Bible prophecy student written by Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and other prominent scholars. While you're there, be sure to check out Dr. DeYoung's latest series called Presidents, Politics, and Prophecy. This series examines how God has used human leaders in general and specifically the last seven U.S. presidents to set the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. This was shot on location in Washington, D.C. and is available on DVD or as a 10-hour audio series on CD. Be sure to check back often for special deals. You can visit prophecytoday.com and click on Bookstore or you can go directly to prophecybookstore.com. It's time right now here on Prophecy Today for us to take a look at the book. Today on Prophecy Today weekend, I brought my six broadcast partners to my broadcast table to discuss current events from a prophetic perspective. Now, these are reports you will not hear on mainstream media. That's why I believe it is key for you to join us each week here on Prophecy Today. These reports are archived at my website at PTRN Prophecy Today Radio Network. You need to make sure that your family and friends hear these reports. 
please help us to get the word out, spread the word about these very important reports available at my website's reports from my broadcast partners. All they need to do is go to prophecytoday.com, Prophecy Today Radio Network. That's where the reports have been archived for you to listen to them at your convenience. Now I want to rehearse the lead stories from my broadcast partners and then give you my prophetic perspective. Ken Timmerman, this time we found him in Sweden, and he told us about Vladimir Putin, president of Russia, who has stepped away from giving a blind eye to Israel when they do airstrikes on Syria. That agreement made between Putin and the former Prime Minister Netanyahu. By the way, look at the players in Syria today, Russia, Iran, Turkey, and of course Syria. These are the players found in the prophetic scenario in the Bible for the end times. Daniel chapter 11 and verse 40 introduces us to the king of the north, which is modern-day Syria, which will make the first move to lead the alignment of nations into the Golan Heights, thus into Israel, to destroy the Jewish state. David Dolan always gives us our Middle East news update. He talked about Mahmoud Abbas, president of the Palestinian Authority, who issued his demands for going to the negotiating table with Israel, it seems like a decree for Israeli surrender. You know, the Israeli-Palestinian conflict has been going on for 4,000 years, dating back to Genesis chapter 25, and it ends when Jesus comes back to the earth. That's Obadiah, verses 15 to 18. Wikimandad talked with me about a pulpery of items. One of them was the Islamic Party in Israel saying that the Temple Mount actually solely belongs to the Muslims. Now, that's a perversion of history. There is tangible evidence that there were two Jewish temples in the past on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. One example that's perfect is that Jesus went to Herod's temple there in Jerusalem to worship, and he taught from that location as well. You deny the temple, and you have to deny Jesus Christ. John Rood is the man who covers the European Union for us. John helped us to understand that the Palestinian Authority is putting pressure on the European Union to boycott the Jewish settlements. The Palestinian Authority, which is the legislative body of the Palestinian people, do not want Jews to be living in what they call Palestine. By the way, there was never such a place called Palestine. Those Jewish settlements where over a half a million Jewish people live are Jewish property, according to the book of Ezekiel, chapter 36. Ezekiel 36 is a record of the Lord giving Ezekiel the prophet information about the land promised to the Jewish people ten times what they have today. Let me suggest a DVD 
which is entitled Signs of the Times. We look at the book of Ezekiel, chapters 34 through 48. This would be of great assistance to you in your study of Bible prophecy. I brought Dr. Paul Blair, former NFL football player with the Chicago Bears, to talk about his conference out in Oklahoma, where they are training pastors to become members of the Black-Robed Regiment. Now, these were pastors at the beginning of America that taught the entire Bible, especially passages that deal with human government. These pastors were the Black-Robed Regiment who were teaching the Word of God, but then training their congregants to be ready to fight for the freedom of this new nation called America. David James and I had a conversation about why there are different doctrines among the different denominations today. You know, churches are not using a proper hermeneutic. If you're going to interpret the Word of God, you have to be consistent in your study of that Word. There's only one interpretation, and of course there is only one doctrine found in God's Word. There is a problem when you are not on the same page as the Lord as you study His Word. These reports are archived at my website at PTRN Prophecy Today Radio Network. You need to make sure that your family and friends hear these reports. Please help us to get the word out, spread the word about these very important reports available at my website's reports from my broadcast partners. All they need to do is go to prophecytoday.com, Prophecy Today Radio Network. That's where the reports have been archived for you to listen to them at your convenience. I believe it is key for you to join us each week here on Prophecy Today. Each of these reports are actually tangible evidence that the rapture could happen at any moment. And the reason I make that statement is that the next prophetic event in God's plan for the future to be fulfilled is the rapture. After the rapture, which could happen at any moment, then all other prophecies, especially the ones that we talked about today, all of these prophecies will follow the rapture. And that rapture could actually happen at any moment. And having said that, nothing left for me to say except let's keep looking up until. Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today.